broadcasting live worldwide. Thank you for tuning in to The TalkLine Communications Network proudly presents its flagship program, TalkLine, America's number one Jewish program, the pulse beat of the Jewish community, with Zev Brenner. And now, your host, Zev Brenner. Welcome back to the program. I'm Zev Brenner. Most of you know that Donald Trump and Joe Biden are running for the presidency of the United States. Many of you may not be aware that there are other candidates that are running as well. With us right now is Brock Pearson, American entrepreneur known for his work in the in cryptocurrency industry. He's a child actor. You may have seen him in Disney films such as Mighty Ducks and D2 the Mighty Ducks and the First Kid. But he's also an independent candidate for the president of the United States of America. He's a venture capitalist, philanthropist, involved in so many different things. I believe he's on the ballot in at least 16 states. So welcome. Thank you for joining us, Barack. Uh, Zeb, thank you for having me. Thank you. So first of all, you are a successful businessman, philanthropist, and we'll get into some of the work that you've done, especially in Puerto Rico. So why are you looking to run for president when the conventional wisdom is it's either going to be Donald Trump or Joe Biden? Independent candidates have never made it to be president. Well, um, I think it's time for change. <laughs> I feel like um, we're doomed if we don't do something different. And if ever there was a moment, if ever there was an opportunity for something new to emerge, something to, to rise above our existing you know, partisan politics, it feels like that time is now, and I don't necessarily mean in this election specifically, but this is that moment. In 2024, 38% of registered voters will be registered as independents, and uh, I know a lot of people are just not happy with the status quo. Albert Einstein is credited with this line that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different result. And I look around, and that feels kind of like the, the country we live in. And so I'm, uh, I'm running because I love, I love this country. I love the American people. I believe in us. And I think that, uh, I think that there is a path forward for all of us. But is it something that, listen, it's, uh, it's good to have more people running. I think there should be more than just two candidates. It makes it more exciting. But it's very tough for an independent candidate to win. And you're only on the ballot, what is it, about 16 states? Yeah, the public number right now is uh, 16 states. So I'll walk you through. So what we're doing now is I'm 39 years old. I turned 40 in November. So whatever we do now is laying the groundwork for the future. In this election, though, most people don't know this. I don't have to win the election to become president. That kind of shocks people. And so the way that our general election works to win you need to win a majority of the Electoral College vote, the key word being majority, meaning if the two major parties were to tie, no one wins. Or if a third party, such as myself, were to win a single state in a close race, it means that no one would get a majority. If we were to win three states, it's likely that no one gets a majority and therefore no one wins in the general election. And so if no one wins, the House of Representatives, 12th Amendment, chooses the president from the top three candidates. 
and it's not the Democratic House. Each state gets one vote, including the District of Columbia. So whomever, whichever candidate gets 26 votes becomes the next president. Every time this has happened historically, every time, 100% of the time, they've always chosen the third place candidate to be president as a compromise. Now, which states are you registered to run in? So um, uh, we've been endorsed by the Independence Party of New York, so I'm on the ballot here in New York. Um, my home state, I'm from Minnesota, born and raised. And so in Minnesota, we've been endorsed by former U.S. Senator Dean Barkley. He's our state director. We're on the, uh, the ballot there. My next stop, I fly to Wyoming tomorrow. Uh, from Wyoming, I'll be in... Uh, uh, Idaho and then Utah and then Colorado were on the ballots in all four of those states. And we will be uh, uh, campaigning around the country. Uh, Alaska, uh, we'll, we'll be all over the place. Now, in New York, what are your plans for campaigning? Do you think you could make a dent in New York, considering it's so highly partisan here? Yeah, I hope to make a dent. I don't think that New York is a state where we're likely to win or even get second place. But if we... Um, you know, New York is the beating heart of certainly the U.S. financial system, I would argue, the world. And so what happens in New York has such a major impact on the rest of the world, especially the United States, that we hope to make a real dent in New York. We hope to, um, uh, to get our name out there, to get our message out there. And if the message is winning, right, so what is the definition of winning? I feel like I won the moment... I had the courage to, to actually step into the ring and to invite the scrutiny and the magnifying glass and every decision I've ever made in my life to be, you know, uh, 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 deeply. Uh, I, I feel like that is winning in itself. It's the courage to get in here. And the next step is to get the message out, right? We have big, bold, game-changing ideas that we think that can affect the future of this country. And if that message gets picked up by anyone else, that's great. I'm not beholden to anybody else. So I can say the things that no one else is willing to say. Now, how do you get coverage? Because the media is so focused on the top two candidates. Uh, of course, I mentioned uh, Trump and Biden. So how do you get the media to cover you? I know they barely cover Kane West, who is a hip-hop star. He got in coverage. But you have not gotten the same kind of coverage. So in order to get... To get anywhere, you need to be more visible. How do you get to be more visible in this environment? Well, right now, we're getting more coverage than any other third-party candidate aside from uh, Kanye. Uh, and so the media is definitely starting to pay attention. Uh, people are listening to the things that we have to say. The message is resonating uh, with people, and hopefully this, um, this continues. I'm doing four, five, six, seven interviews a day, so... Um, uh, the, the message is starting to get out there, and hopefully it just continues to, to amplify more and more. Now, I noticed that in some of the media, it looks like they're trying to harm you. I've been looking online, for example, and I find they're trying to tie you into Jeffrey Epstein, for example. Yeah, I mean, this is what happens when you choose to run for president. Um, they're going to, 
use everything and anything they can throw the kitchen sink at you. But, um, yeah, so I was invited to speak at a conference in 2011 called MindShift alongside Nobel Prize winners. I was asked to speak on the future of money. I speak, I used to speak at conferences every other day, so I'm not doing due diligence. I don't think that his name was even on the website, but I guess he was you know, one of the sponsors of the event. And so because I spoke at an event alongside Nobel Prize winners that Jeffrey Epstein sponsored, it, 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 it's kind of ridiculous. Um, he was obviously uh, a very social person. There's a lot of people in New York, all over the world that met him. I spoke at a conference. Um, had I known what I know, no, know now, I clearly wouldn't have done that. Yeah, but what I'm, what I'm thinking out loud is if they're trying to the, hurt you, it means that maybe they're a little concerned about you. Oh, I, 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 we, we are definitely, um, uh, because, well, I mean, this is a very, very contentious race, right? This nation is very, very divided. Uh, politically, but also economically, racially. I mean, we're going, you know, at a time where we're facing existential threats technologically, environmentally. I mean, these are these are wild times. Um, and so uh, uh, we have definitely uh, ruffled some feathers. The major major political parties are looking at what we're doing very closely. And, um, you know, what I like to say is that we're not running against anyone. We're running with and for everyone. And so, uh, you know, I'm not doing anything to hurt either of the major political uh, candidates. I'm here to, to present big, bold, audacious, game-changing ideas that hopefully benefit the American people. I don't speak negatively of others. I don't believe that's real leadership. I think real leadership is presenting a vision, inspiring people, informing, educating, presenting solutions to problems. And uh, the focus here is to build um, not another third party not even the third major party. We're trying to build a new platform that enables candidates to represent their constituents, to represent the people directly, free of the control of political parties. We want to empower representatives, doctors, teachers, lawyers, business people, scientists, engineers, entrepreneurs, artists, farmers, whatever. We want to enable a government of, for, and by the people to represent the people directly, free to say what they think, free to do what they feel is right without the control of political parties. And so that's what I'm committed to doing. All of the infrastructure being developed now is not just for me. I'm looking for 100 candidates that are ready to be civil servants and to support them up and down the ticket in 2022, local, state, and federal. And so if that's you, if you feel called to, to, to doing a, a tour of duty, uh, to be a civil servant, to represent the people and to be free of the controls of political parties, uh, please let me know after November 4th. Now, to run a campaign, and I know that you're a billionaire, you're a philanthropist, are you raising money? Are you putting your own money in? What kind of numbers are we talking about to get this race moving? Yeah, so the numbers that I've seen come out of the FEC reports yesterday, I think, is that the campaign has uh, filed four, four and a half million dollars. And so, um, obviously, that's not a massive number compared to the two major parties. But I think we are extremely efficient and we're doing a lot with less. And uh, yes, we are uh, we are raising money. Uh, if you wish to contribute, you can go to Brock, uh, B-R-O-C-K dot vote. You know, and Brock, the vote, join us. Uh, contributing as a little as a dollar. It's not about what you give, 
I, you know, whether someone gives $2,800 or $1, I view it all the same. You've voted with your wallet. You've chosen to be a part of this political movement. You've chosen to be part of this political revolution and uprising to bring about real change at a time where this country needs it. And, uh, and I'd always remind people to fear less and love more. Love is the answer. Love is what's going to get us out of this situation. And it's going to be things like technology and innovation. You know, there are 21st century solutions to these 21st century problems. Um, I, I believe in us. I have so much faith in Corona, us. Corona, how would you deal with that? And you think the president right did now, a good job? Uh, yeah, right now, it's, it, it's, we have to start opening up. Uh, we have to start allowing our business owners, our small business owners, to get back to work if they choose. But they should be allowed to open up their restaurants. They should be able to open up their stores. And if people want to work, they should be able to work. And if customers want to come buy or dine, whatever it is, they should be able to. We are five, six months in. We have the appropriate protocols. We know what to do. We know how to do things safely. And it doesn't mean it's without risk. If you're a high-risk person, you know, you can continue to quarantine. But the rest of the world has to start to get back to work. The damage that is being done by this, by this shutdown, the economic impact, the devastation that's happening, that's happening to small business owners, restaurant owners, uh, uh, we, have to, we have to start reopening. Uh, the, the, the impact of this is going to be ext- beyond uh, measure right now. Uh, the ripple effects um, on starvation in the developing world, the ripple effects on unemployment, the impact it's having on small business, uh, we have to start opening up. We know what we're doing. We, we've now been trained for six months. We know how to do this. We have the protocols. And we now have the data. We know exactly how dangerous this is. Would you, would you say the president has done a good job, fair job, bad job as far as dealing with the corona? I think it's a tough job for anyone because in the beginning you don't have data. You don't know. And the initial data we saw was a potential 2 to 3% fatality rate. It, if 2 to 3% of those infected die, that is a huge deal. That is, you know, that is, you know, sound the alarms and, and do everything you can to protect the lives of the American people. You know, and uh, we, we now have data that's coming out of Stanford and other places that's showing it's more like 0.2 or 0.3%. And so um, clearly it's, that's more dangerous than the flu. But it's not so dangerous that we need to shut down the country. And I think the president um, is shares my view on this, that we need to start reopening. I think you can see that from his rallies. Um, I think that the stimulus packages, if you're going to shut the country down, was something that you needed to do. I think big companies got too much. I would have done more for the average American, and I would have done more to support small business. I know in his second round of stimulus, he did a better job of that, but you know I, I have compassion for anyone in that situation. You do not want to be in a position of leadership and have to make those very, very difficult decisions that could cost people their lives. Uh, uh, that's the unfortunate reality of, of being in those positions. Brock Pierce is our guest. Uh, he is a venture capitalist, philanthropist. He is a child actor. You could have seen him in some of the Disney films. Now he's running as an independent to be president of the United States of America. He's in 16 states on the ballots, including in New York. We're going to be right back. 
Looking for a complete business phone system that does it all? Make JiveTel your phone system and phone service provider. JiveTel has great prices and offers over 30 features at no additional cost. There's no need to buy expensive phone equipment when you can use JiveTel's hosted phone solution. And what's great is there are minimal setup fees and there are free system updates with new features added frequently. JiveTel has been keeping customers happy for over 12 years and has amazing in-house customer support. TalkLine uses JiveTel and we highly recommend you do as well. For more information, please call 855-444-JIVE. That's 855-444-JIVE. Online at JiveTel.com. JiveTel, phone service made easy. Thanks for listening. TCN Talk Live Network Radio, America's number one Jewish program. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please become a fan of Talk Line with Zeb Brenner on Facebook, LinkedIn, Google Plus, and YouTube. On Twitter at Talkline Network. If you have an Android phone, please download our free app in the Google Store. For iPhones, download the Jewish Radio app. Of course, tune in 24 hours a day at TalklineCommunications.com for nonstop Jewish broadcasting. Welcome back to the program. Mom Zev Brenner. Brock Pierce is with us. He is a venture capitalist. He's big into cryptocurrency. He's a child. He was a child actor, and now he wants to be president of the United States of America. And he's running as independent. He's in 16 states, including in New York. You know, I was thinking as you were speaking that in a place like New York, um, people say, well, Republicans can't win. The Democrats always win. So people say, why should I vote for president? My vote doesn't count. But if they vote for an independent such as yourself, for example, that could possibly be a difference. So people don't like either candidate. This may be a way of showing a different way. Your thoughts about that? Did it cross your mind? Absolutely. You know, we have to break free of this illusion this illusion that we only have two choices. We have to stop accepting that if you vote, if you vote for a third party, you're, you know, you're throwing your vote away, uh, that you have to keep voting for this duopoly. That is a lie. It's not true. And I would encourage everyone to do what they believe, you know, to trust your heart and to do what you feel is right, to vote for what you believe in, to vote for who you believe in. We have to break free of this illusion that we only have two choices. As long as we continue to believe that, we will be stuck in that reality. In a place like New York, if you're nervous, you have an ability to actually do what you feel is right and not impact the election. And so, especially in a state like New York, I strongly encourage you to do your research, look beyond the two major party candidates, and trust your heart, follow it. Well, I'm saying it's just the opposite, is that you may be throwing out your vote if you vote for a Democrat or a Republican because it makes no difference in New York. So therefore, by voting for an independent, for example, such as yourself, the vote may have more of an impact than just voting for one of the standard bearers of either party. Well, yeah, I mean, in New York, it's, I mean, historically a pretty Democratic state. So, um, you know, you you can vote for an independent candidate and not worry that you'd be a spoiler um, it's, it's, you know, this is not really a swing state. Now, let's get down to some of the issues. New York certainly has, and this area has the largest concentration of Jews in the United States. What's your relationship to the Jewish community? 
I, uh, I grew up in St. Louis Park, Minnesota, which is probably the most Jewish city in Minnesota. And I lived in Hollywood and New York and all over the world. And so I have many dear friends uh, that are Jewish. I've been to Israel uh, multiple times. I look forward to going back. And I've got a tremendous amount of respect uh, for uh, 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 the Jewish religion and uh, the spirituality and the belief and uh, the, the upbringing of the Jewish family. I think there's a lot to learn uh, from how Jewish people uh, raise uh, uh, their families. Uh, they do a very good job, and I think we can learn from that. I want to thank Jewish leader Yudel Perlstein for making the introduction for us. Are you going to be doing any special events, let's say in Jewish neighborhoods or reaching out to Jewish voters? Is there any going to be a special outreach uh, to that community? Yes, yes, and yes, and more. Okay, can you can we, can you elaborate? Well, I mean, I've been uh, to the Rebbe's grave twice in the last month and a half. Uh, 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 I'm I'm here with Yidi Gerolstein, as you as you know, uh, and we are uh, uh, connecting with uh, everyone we possibly can here from within the Jewish community in New York. Uh, I think that um, I'm a good representative. Uh, uh, for the Jewish people, a good friend of a good friend of Jew, so you so work with them, and and one of the big issues, of course, in the election has to do with Israel, Jewish voters. I deal with that. We'll talk about prison reform in a few moments. Another hot button topic, but there's been some talk. You know, President Trump has been very good in Israel, moved the embassy to Jerusalem, and defunded the Palestinian Authority until they stop paying terrorists. You know, when rewarding terrorists in Iran. So, what are some of your policies regarding Israel? And would the embassy be moved back? Will you stay put? What are some of your views? Well, I, I mean. I don't think the embassy needs to move. It is where it is. Um, it's not a, 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 a. I have no focus from a policy perspective on moving uh, uh, any embassies at this time. Uh, um, they are where they are, uh, and I'm a, uh, a supporter of uh, uh, Israel, and I'm here to uh, always be of service to create peace and prosperity, not just for the American people, but for everyone to the extent we can. I think that, uh, you know, I'm running for office out of love, you know, because I love this country, because I love the American people. I know that love is the answer to everything, and we need to fear less and love more, and we have to find a way to come together at this time. You know, we are, uh, the world is changing rapidly, and, uh, and we have to find a path forward together wherever possible. And uh, I hope that, um, you know, peace can be found in the Middle East. So you would work, in other words, President Trump has made, help facilitate peace between Israel and the UAE, United Arab Emirates, and Bahrain. Is that something you would look to, to bring in Saudi Arabia and some of the other countries too? I, I think that that is work that needs to be continued. I, I think it's great to see that progress is being made, and uh, hopefully it doesn't stop there. Hopefully it continues. The whole world needs it. Now, one of the issues that I think is important is prison reform. President Trump has worked on it. And just watching out there, and I read, even the New York Times has picked up about misconduct by prosecutors, and we're too quick to put people into jail. We probably have more people in prison in this country than any other country on earth. What can we do to reduce that? What can we do about prison reform? Yeah, so I'll, I'll just step back to one of the game-changing sort of ideas. 
So how have countries measured their success historically? How have we measured our success? We've done it off of growth. Growth. Just growth for growth's sake. Blind growth. The problem with growth or GDP, gross domestic product, is it assumes that we have infinite resources, which we've known for some time we do not. And so when we stop being able to expand, you know, part of the reason we have so much conflict in the world is because we can't keep expanding and growing, so we keep trying to uh, uh, grow and take from each other, right? That's uh, where the growth is coming from. And so the other problem with growth is that it doesn't differentiate between positive and negative growth, meaning cancer creates growth. Putting more people in prison creates growth. Fires and hurricanes create growth, but is that the growth we want to incentivize for? So I'm a systems designer, and as someone that designs systems from the ground up, you know, creates things, what you incentivize is very, very important because what you incentivize, you normally get. And so I think we need to take a step back and reevaluate how we measure our success as a nation. And so our founding fathers had a very powerful intention for this country, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What if we started to measure our success? What if we started to hold our government to account, hold them accountable to life? Did you know that life expectancy in the United States is in decline despite medicine, science, and technology? Um, What if we started to measure our success by life expectancy? That would start to have a major impact on policy. It would have a major impact on the environment. It would have a major impact on the private sector. It would start to really overall affect the health and well-being of the American people. What if we started to measure our success by liberty? We're supposed to be the land of the free, but as you said, we have more people in prison per capita than anywhere in the world. Why that happens is you got a police department that wants to arrest more people to get a bigger budget, to hire more cops, to arrest more people, to get a bigger budget, to hire more cops, to arrest more people, because it's just trying to grow. Growth, blind growth, is how our system has been designed. So should we defund the police? Should we defund the police? No. So, no, I'm a big believer in law and order. I believe that law and order is the foundation of any well-functioning society. The issue is not defunding. The issue is, as I like to say, we don't have a resource problem. We have a resource allocation problem. We have an efficiency problem. We have an accountability problem. And with the police specifically, I think we have a training problem. If we want a different result, we need to train them differently, and they probably need more training. They probably need regular evaluations. But the idea is changing the measurement of success. What if we started to measure our success by our freedom, by our liberty? There would no longer be for-profit prisons. We would start to, our government would be held to account. We wouldn't have victimless crimes. You know, there's a lot of reform that needs to be had here. We should be the land of the free. We should be measuring our success by our freedom, by our liberty. And along with that answers questions around privacy and otherwise. And what if we started to measure our success by happiness? The kingdom of Bhutan, for example, measures its success as a nation by the happiness of its people. And so if we want to upgrade the operating system of the United States of America, we have to change the metrics by which by how we measure our success, how we hold our government accountable. We have to have a goal. Where are we going? When you don't have an aim, when you don't have a vision, when you don't have a destination, you're going to run in circles. And that's what we've been doing for a long time. We're speaking with presidential candidate Brock Pierce, independent. Uh, He is a a venture capitalist, big into cryptocurrency. He's a philanthropist. So 
let's look talk money. Let's talk about how we can help people. Let's talk about GDP. What can we do to help especially small businesses that are suffering now because of Corona? So many of them not going to open up. What can we do to stimulate business? Well, to the extent that there's another round of stimulus, which there's a good chance there will be, I think, as I said, make sure that we support the small businesses. I'm a, an entrepreneur, so I've spent my whole life you know, building things out of nothing, starting businesses. So I have so much empathy, so much compassion to those that are trying to live the American dream and to watch Costco and Walmart and Amazon just gobble up and eat all those businesses and watching and knowing that many of these businesses will no, never reopen. I think that the American dream is back to the power and the intention and the, what makes America great in so many ways. And we have to make sure that we continue to empower that. The American dream is not dead, and we need to make sure that it's alive and make sure that we have that new American dream and that we continue to support that. Obviously, the government, from a stimulus perspective and otherwise, can do a lot to support that. But as the American people, there's also a lot that we can do to support that American dream, to remember that every time you transact, every time you open up your wallet, you are giving power to something. You are supporting something. And so I encourage people to be conscious and mindful, to support your local business, your local mom and pops, to support your local shops, that supports your local community, that supports your village, city, or state, or country, and to try and support those businesses knowing how much they're going to be struggling and that we can actually do a lot to support them. What's going to get America's economy back up and running is ultimately going to be the American people coming together to support these American businesses. I would encourage people to buy American, not to say that you know we're not here to support the rest of the world as well, but this is that time. Is this the moment where you want to save 10 cents or you want to save 10 percent? Um, you know, the, the thing that we can do as Americans is buy local, support our local businesses, support our local communities. Um, the government obviously has its role to play, but the government isn't going to be able to do enough. It's ultimately going to come down to us, you know, choosing mindfully to support those things that we believe in, those people that we want to succeed. So would you say that we're on the right track as far as with China because we seem to be in a collision course? It's not just us, it's other countries. I think that's one thing the Democrats and the Republicans pretty much are almost on the same page as how to deal with China. It's come out that China has been much more... Uh, more damaging their actions as far as the coronavirus is concerned. A House report that it came out about the putting the blame on them, uh, giving faulty masks and home and hoarding some of the supplies that were needed for uh, relief. So a more aggressive China is what we're seeing today. So should we be taking even stronger steps than we're currently doing, in your opinion? So I've spent a lot of my life living in China, uh, Hong Kong, Shanghai, and Beijing, principally. Um, and so having spent a ton of time there, I had hundreds of thousands of people in China working for me in my 20s, playing video games professionally to mine digital currencies. I started a television channel in China. Um, I've done a lot of things in China. I was instrumental in the launching of Alipay, the payment systems in China. And so I understand China. I understand the Chinese culture. By the way, I love the Chinese people and I love Chinese culture. Um, this is really more of a government issue, not a not a cultural or people issue. And uh, I think that, you know, we, we have to be a, a little tougher on China. I mean, 
uh, I was having conversations with some Chinese friends recently, and they're like, well, what do you think about this whole TikTok thing? I said, well, how is Facebook doing in China? How are our American businesses doing in China? And, you know, clearly our businesses don't operate there. Google doesn't operate there. And so it's one thing when China was a developing nation to allow a developing nation to behave in a certain way, you know, because we're, you know, we want to see developing nations do well. China is no longer a developing nation. China is now a major, major superpower. (laughs) And so it has to be a two-way street. If our businesses can't operate there, why should your businesses, you know, be able to to operate here? And I think that um, uh, we have to find uh, a, a diplomatic, you know, the situation with China is delicate. We have to find a path forward together. Uh, we have to figure out how to make things work. We need to have a good relationship with China uh, to the extent it can be done, but it has to be a, a relationship that's fair, where both parties are benefiting. And we have to acknowledge kind of these obvious things. And so um, I feel I'm very well equipped to deal with China. I've spent uh, probably more time doing business in China than almost any presidential candidate or certainly president we've had, probably more so since uh, the last president that had real experience in China was George Bush uh, Sr. We have a few moments left. Brock Pierce is our guest. He's running for president. He was a child actor. Now, anytime, do they, are they still running the films, The Mighty Ducks or D2, The Mighty Ducks you just started in? And if they are, do they have to give your opponent equal time? Um, yeah, so they, they, those movies are became mega hits, and so they're still being played all the time. Uh, Mighty Ducks uh, obviously was such a successful franchise that it became multiple films, and Disney even created an NHL hockey team. They created the Ducks based upon that franchise. I think that's the only time uh, a movie actually turned into a, a, a professional sports team. Uh, First Kid is an interesting one because I played the son of the president of the United States of America with Sinbad as my Secret Service agent. I was 14 years old. Bill Clinton and Sonny Bono had cameos. I actually got to spend a little bit of time in the actual White House and Oval Office as a result of making that movie. And so it's, um, uh, uh, it's, it, it's definitely uh, entertaining if you have kids uh, I would encourage watching those movies. They, uh, they've they stood the test of time. Are you showing them during the campaign trial? Uh, I'm working on putting <laughs> together a... So First Kid came out, at, we just had the 20-year anniversary, and so I'm talking to, to Sinbad and the director, David Mickey Evans, and Zach Bryan and others, and I'm trying to put together a screening um, potentially in Los Angeles, D.C., and New York, uh, and so I'm working on that because it... it it would be um, it would be fun to bring everybody back together again, and how um, uh, you know uh, story and film you know sometimes mimics reality in its own way. In this case, in reverse. Right, because you were in the White House already, so now you want to do that. I was curious before I let you go. How did you end up being from a child actor to being a venture capitalist, an American entrepreneur, to now presidential candidate? What was the transition? Well, I, I, I've always been a, just a creative entrepreneurial um, you know, sort of person. I grew up in the movie business, decided I wanted to do tech. I started building businesses when I was 16, and then I kept building more businesses. I really just enjoyed the process of creation and, and starting things and getting it to its first 10, 20, 50 employees um, and then let other people operate it. And so I kept creating company after company, eventually to the point that I was building a new company every 45 to 60 days that I couldn't manage more companies. So then I had to transition into being a venture capitalist because I wanted to continue to support innovation. And there's only so much time in the day. I can only spread myself so thin. 
And so I became a VC so that I could fund another 50 or 100 businesses because I wanted to, uh, to do all that I could to support innovation in the same way that I want to do everything I can to support this nation. Now, obviously, you mentioned you know you're not going to win the election. It'll be either one of the two top candidates. So you're looking to build for the future. So after the beginning of November, after Election Day, what's your next step? What are you going to be doing? What are you going to be running for? And does that include perhaps mayor of New York or governor of New York? (laughs) Uh, Well, I've been asked by many people to run for uh, mayor of New York and governor of New York. I mean, over 100 uh, influential people have said, please. I've been asked to run for governor of Minnesota. It's, ha- it's happening everywhere I go. I meet with influential people, and they're like, Brock, you are exactly you know, what we need right now. Uh, if you don't win the election, which you probably won't, would you consider coming and helping us here? Um, and so uh, on November 4th, uh, I guess I will start to, to entertain the next steps. I've committed my life uh, to, to serving this nation, to serving humanity, and um, uh, clearly, I'm going to continue to do whatever I can to uh, to be of service to us, uh, to, to help in whatever way I can. And we'll decide on November 4th uh, what paths we begin to go down. Barack Pierce, American entrepreneur, uh, you've really done such incredible things, you know, becoming a venture capitalist and now running as an independent for the president of the United States of America on the ballot in New York. So I look forward to having you back again and hear more of some of the ideas. And uh, thank you for being part of our special broadcast. Thank you so much for having me. God bless. Uh, Thank you. And we're going to be right back.